everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. One of the cool things that's happening this spring is my daughter, Ellie Johnson, and my husband, Kurt Johnson, are co-authoring a book that's called The Barons, and they've been working on it for some time, so I'm excited to have them here today to talk a little bit about the process of writing and how they came to the story. Welcome to the program, you guys. Hi. Thank you for having us. Yes, it's a blast to have you and just to hear a little bit more about your process. So, Kurt, do you want to start and give us sort of the synopsis of the book or the sure, elevator yeah. speech, as it were? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about two college-age women who decide to take a 450-mile canoe trip through the Barren Lands, which is up in sub-Arctic Canada. One had taken the trip before through a wilderness camp near the BWCA called Widgewagon but it's called Camp Kawishiwi in the book. Two weeks in, the experienced paddler, Holly, dies uh, when falling in. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> Do you, like, did you just give away the plot, or is that something no, you learned early on in the book? No, uh, you learn part of it early on in the book, but it's kind of, uh, it's on the back of I the... I was going to say, it's on the back jacket. It's back not really jacket. a spoiler. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a spoiler, but not much. But the inexperienced paddler, Lee has to continue the downriver trip along the Thalon River with the decomposing body. Ooh, yeah, yikes. Exactly. So, Ellie, which character are you in the book? Well, I know if you were to ask my dad, he would say that I was uh, Holly, the one who dies, which, uh, thank you very much. Dark. Uh, but pretty much if you ask me or anyone else, uh, both characters take elements from my life and my own upbringing. And in some ways, your upbringing, too, is... No? Yeah, it's certainly a mix of, of, of characters in there. You're probably more Lee-ish than you are Holly-ish, but, but that's... But it's uh, not linear. It's, like No, it's certainly not linear. So along the way, Lee tells stories about her upbringing coming uh, of age off the grid in Nebraska, and stories about her life with Holly kind of both imagined in the future and in the past, how they, how they met. And then when she comes off uh, the trail, she has to confront Holly's parents who with the fact that her daughter now is deceased. And they didn't know that she was gay. So there's a little bit of a uh, coming out story. Oh, so Ellie, can you talk a little bit about was this based on your coming out story or your telling your parents being that I'm your mom? Um, I wouldn't say that the coming out scene is in any way based on my own coming out experience. And in the sense that I didn't even really properly come out, I was kind of outed three separate times, um, in three separate ways. But ultimately, I, I remember it just be, kind of became apparent to you and you kept trying to ask me if I was gay and I kept avoiding you and running away until eventually you texted me. And you said, I'm picking you up from school. If you don't let me pick you up from school, I'm locking you out of the house. <laughs> and I'll keep, Great keep, parenting. A uh, uh, couple things. One, This is fiction, by the way. This isn't a fictional account. But there is a, a coming out story, both with Lee and Holly in the book, that were kind of based on being outed at an early age. And, that, and that's certainly based on some of the stories I heard from Ellie. Were you, in hindsight, glad that you were able to come out so early? How old were you? Um, well, I, again, this is kind of has like two phases because I think like socially everyone at like school knew before like my family knew and that happened around like my freshman year of high school. And then I think by the end of that year, like by the beginning of sophomore years when um, I came out to you guys, 
in being gay and young is certainly interesting because the microcosm of a high school community is already very bizarre and cultish and interesting. And then you add gay dating and um, how like limited your pool is, but that also creates like this group of people that you kind of keep dating and everyone dates and and it gets a little bit incestuous for lack of a better word i was gonna say incestuous yeah Yeah. (laughs) i can hear that okay so this is loosely based on your story ellie talk about your canoe trip and how you ended up on the thalon river so i started going to camp wigiwagon when i was seventh grade going into eighth grade i think so around like like 12 or 13 And uh, I started with a week-long trip in the Boundary Waters uh, with a group of like six other girls. And progressively, the trips kept getting longer um, in more remote, challenging areas, all canoeing. And then eventually, when I was 16, uh, whitewater came into the mix and we started doing trips on longer rivers that included uh, whitewater canoeing. And that uh, led me to doing the month and a half, uh, like 50 days in uh, the Barrens of the Arctic, which is what the book is based on. And I did that with me, two other girls my age who were 17 and 18, respectively, or ex- uh, both 18 at the time. I was the only one who was 17. And my counselor, who had just graduated college, so she was 22. And I mean, that's not a huge age gap between a 22-year-old and an 18-year-old. And when you're, there's just four of you in the most remote, challenging environment, it's like still exists. Um, you really you, you grow close. There's a there's a deep bond, and it really changes like your perspective on yourself and how you engage with the world when you're just removed from society like that. And what intrigued me when I first heard it uh, about her going down the Thalon is that they went for 30 days without ever seeing another canoeer or person. Yeah, and I think it was it was even longer than that. But uh, yeah, it wasn't until we reached like one of the last three lakes before the end of the river that we saw a fisherman and his son uh, who were in a motorboat who stopped by to just say like, hey, what's up? Everything good? You guys doing okay? There's a bear on the other side. Cool. Have a good one. <laughs> in exactly those terms. So Kurt, this is your first published book. Tell me about the process of why you picked this story and why this is the first one that you're bringing to market. After she got off the um, the river, she went to uh, UVM, University of Vermont, and she was taking a course up there in literature, and she had to write a short story. So I had an idea for a, a short story that I pitched her where two girls go in, one dies, and the other one has to take her her body out. And you know, she didn't want to write it, but she said, you go ahead. So I did. And that little short story turned into a novella that turned into a novel because, you know, it's it's a simple story in itself, but you have to delve into each of the characters and uh, what they brought to the Thalon, what they learned on the Thalon, and what happened when they got off. So um, the little short story novella turned into a, uh, a novel. How did you know how to write the scenes about the Baron's experience were you interviewing Ellie or were you doing research? Because when you read the book, I have never been to the Thalon and I'm really not even a canoeer. And I really felt like I could put myself there and I was impressed by that. Yeah, well, it's a lot of late night conversations with uh, Ellie who was at school and then 
and then eventually was home for the summer um, and talking about uh, the Thalon River and what it looked like and what it felt like. And I read a couple books and I had I had the journey mapped out. But like when you got to uh, Grassy Island, like what did Grassy Island feel like and look like? Was it grass or what? <laughs> And of course, the answer is no. No. <laughs> and, you know, they, 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 they come across a couple trapper cabins. And what did they look like? Now, I, I saw some pictures, too. But, you know, asking Ellie what it felt like to be on the river, what it felt like to come across these trapper cabins. You know, we had those, those in-depth uh, conversations. And that led to conversations because I have to come up with backstory and what, what's the relationship between these two women and, and how did they discover their sexuality. So... Now I had to delve into more personal questions. And these are things that parents really just don't like to ask their kids. They don't want to talk to their kids about sexuality. I certainly didn't. But the novel forced me to do that because I, I had to be honest about it. And I had to learn those stories. So Yeah, because in, in one respect, you're a 60-ish year old white guy writing about a lesbian story. And uh, there's a sex scene which as your mom, I was like, so I'm assuming you guys talked through that. Yeah, we talked through that. And, and there were some, uh, uh, some times when we just went to a bar, had a, had a couple beers and (laughs) relaxed and a little lubrication. Yeah. The beer certainly helped. But I mean, I think that at a certain point you were just asking honest questions and I was trying to, you know, remove myself from, you know, the daughter. Seat. Yeah. And just kind of answer honestly and authentically. And you really took that and ran with it. And I think you brought that authenticity into the writing. So I really do feel like, you know, we, we did a good job of like sitting down and working through that voice and trying to figure out what was authentic to the experience of like my gay youth. Yeah. And I remember one uh, long conversation where uh, your significant other, Kate was there uh, at Liquor Lyles on Hennepin that unfortunately is closed down. Best bar ever. <laughs> I know. I, that's still one of the most tragic closures that's ever happened. And, and you know, we got in-depth about the sexuality, uh, uh, lesbian sexuality. Um, and and I, I didn't know any of this stuff. So it was a huge eye-opener. And, and it, was, it was a good, on, honest conversation. And I think at a certain point, it just becomes like, yeah, beyond, you know, I'm not speaking for anyone's personal like experience with their own sexuality, with their development, their upbringing, their relationships. But I, I think that like, if I can just like sit down and be honest, like, and have that replicated, it, it becomes more about a story of development, like on a personal level and you know like coming of age story let's say and less of like um you know a sex scene in, right in so many words did you guys pass the manuscript back and forth or how did the logistics of writing together work well i wrote um, i mostly wrote everything by myself in somewhat of a vacuum and i have to um just because you know there's a narrative i gotta follow there's scenes i gotta write and and I push myself to, you know, write a thousand to two thousand words every day. So the thing kind of certainly initial drafts moved along. You sent on scenes to me to kind of evaluate for accuracy and authenticity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that's like the second and third time through the book. And then there was some really delicate scenes in there that I don't want to talk about right now. But, you know, I really needed to get 
uh, Ellie's okay to even publish some of those stories. Right. Yeah, he got it. <laughs> he did. And as the mom, I was like, oh, wow, did this stuff... People are going to ask you, and they've asked me, like, my sister asked, like, did this stuff really happen? Yeah, you know, a lot of it is not, it's not like photorealistic, but in that same way, it was kind of uh, therapy, (laughs) you know, to some degree to have to, like, work through that and reflect on my experience in order to, like, have it replicated as part of a story, as part of, like, a character story, you know, it makes me think back and think like, how do these experiences create my story and my character? Can you talk about the publishing process? Because I think there's a lot of people listening that like, oh, I'd love to like write a book and tell us about that journey. Cause that's really, I think a testament to your personal yeah, perseverance. It's, uh, it's not a news story uh, and it's incredibly hard to get published. Um, you know, there's particularly fiction, particularly fiction, particularly, yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot of people will write their first book, they put their heart and soul into it and try to get it published, and it just never happens. And uh, I kind of took a longer view, you know, I, find, I, I think I understood that the first novel is not going to get published, so I, hopefully it, it will. And maybe not the second one, but maybe the third one. And, and at some point, it becomes a job and become a professional at it. And you start looking for stories and narratives that you think will sell. And I thought this one could sell. But then you have to write, you know, 50 to 100 to 150 query letters out to these 250 or so agents that are mostly in New York that get about three to 6,000 of these things every year. And you got to break through the clutter and get them to read the first 10 pages, then the first couple chapters, and hopefully they'll call you back and say, can I see the rest of your manuscript? Um, And it's a tough process, and I was extremely lucky. Uh, You read Stephen King's On Writing, and I think that really drove a lot of, like, you being able to take writing and turn it into your business, your work. He's really good at... um, illustrating how you just need to sit down and write consistently in order to be marketable. He is the captain of writing out. Tons of <laughs> He's very life. disciplined. Yeah. He, he wakes up at the same time every day and he sits down and he writes, he goes for a walk and then he comes back in the afternoon and kind of does emails and other things. It's kind of what I do too. He guards that writing time. And he's very disciplined about it. Every day he sits there and does it. It's hard to be a creative to some degree. You kind of have to be a writer. You have to sit down and keep writing, even if you don't feel inspired or interested. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And there's so much of it that's craft, right? Just like learning to craft a sentence, learning to craft a story. We talk about character development in doing podcasts and in doing broadcast stories and crafting, you know, we have 10, 12 minute cooking segments and what's the story and what's your beginning, what's your middle and what's your end. It's hard to imagine doing that day after day alone, kind of in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fun actually, because, you know, if you're going back to Stephen King, um, I, I do that. I write in the morning and try to get a thousand or 2000 words out. And sometimes it's garbage, but I at least get it out and I got that discipline. But then a lot of the fun part is the afternoon when I take that walk, um, and, or I sit in the bathtub late at night and I come up with the scene for the next day. What's the story for the next day? And I really have it in my mind and I jot down some outlines, but that's the fun stuff. The fun stuff is, is creating stories. And you're right. They all have to have a beginning, middle, and end. And each 
each scene is a story on uh, in itself, and something's got to happen. So, uh, to me, it's a fun part, but but I. I can see where that's also the difficult part for a lot of people. It's kind of funny because it's sort of like, like in your business life, you have like your to-do list, right? And you like, when you're unwinding, you think about what you want your next day to look like and you set up your day. So you're kind of doing that in the writing space. Exactly. Yep. So from the aspects of writing being a business, do you get paid money to publish this book? Yeah. You don't really go into it. <laughs> as a real business venture to to make money, um, it's just a mindset I have um, to be disciplined about it. Um, you know, if you do get published, they'll give you. I mean, I got five thousand dollars. Right. That that was, and that's that's uh, against future sales. So the you know your commissions or your royalties out of the first book sales just go into paying back that four or five thousand dollars. So. And then you have to do a lot of your own marketing, and that costs money too. So I've yet to actually make a dime, but I'm hoping to make a few. I hope so too. <laughs> it's just fun to think about. But I know, you know, I people on the podcast know that I've been working on this cookbook, and our experience has been pretty similar, but also really different because you're doing fiction, I'm doing nonfiction, you're working with a New York agent, I'm working with a local Minnesota historical press. But at the end of the day, it's like you put all this energy into this thing. And then I don't know about you, but do you like have imposter syndrome at all? Because I sure do. Uh, you know, I'm a fake it till you make it kind of guy. So, so, so my, whole life is, my whole life has been that, that I way. I certainly have imposter syndrome because, I mean, I'm, I'm now a debut co-author because my daddy wrote my life story down. <laughs> <laughs> my daddy. <laughs> I mean, but that that's, you know, demeaning to the actual writing process and like what we went through to produce the book that is hopefully going to be before you May 3rd. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. You know, I just I look back on when I'm proofing something and I think, oh, my gosh, should I write this? Like, when did I write this? It just seems so odd. Now, you've written a number of books. So now you're trying to like, are you in the machine of trying to publish more books besides just the Barons? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wrote about three books before um, I wrote the Barons. So I'm going back into that catalog, if you want to call it that. You know, the first book is a, a, a fantastic thriller about um, Las Vegas based on my time running nightclubs there in the late 80s. So that's in front of my editor right now. We're trying to get a decision on it. And then I've got a book based on uh, your and I uh, travel um, through through the West uh, during COVID times in the RV. So there's a, a book that I've just finished based on that, a, a kind of a thriller, funny, humorous thriller. Mm-hmm. So I'm hope, hopefully that we'll get out there one, one of these days also. It's weird too, because I, of all the books you've written and you talk about, like the Las Vegas book and the RV book are kind of dark humor. And yet the Barons is super thoughtful and very fiction driven with these characters of these two women. The books are really different. Is that weird to think about like pitching? And because like, I don't know, a lot of women are popular writers right now. And it's like so and so writes thrillers and then so and so writes romantic comedies like you're kind of jumping genres. Is that a good idea? No, I mean, everybody would tell you it's not a good idea. But I have the luxury of 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 not having 
to write to make a living. And that's a huge luxury. So I can write what I want to write, well, and if which I could, is fun. If I could speak for you for okay. a sec, I mean, I, I think that like the three books we just talked about really, it, it, it really shows your theme is kind of like taking a space that interests you or an experience that interests you and kind of working backwards. So like taking Las Vegas and thinking about what kind of stories would take place in Las Vegas and, you know, taking um, an RV through the West, like the back roads of the American West and turning that into a story with the Barons, you kind of took a space that very much intrigued you and went backwards. It's a very contemplative space. So you ended up with a really contemplative story. That makes sense. Um, something that's a little bit, you know, softer and really deals with like your interior character. Like, cause you said one of the biggest challenges was creating dialogue in a book where, um, characters alone for most of the time. Right. I mean, you, you could speak to that about like, you know, how, how do you create thrills out of, um, yeah, the more thoughtful. Well, and that, that, that comes down to the, you know, the backstories of, of these two women and the, uh, imagine future stories of these women and I kind of do it through a verbal dialogue. It's kind of uh, around the campfire uh, stories. Well, in that sense, I, th- I think your stories might not be like that different from one another. When I think it's just more about you trying to let a story reflect the space that you wanted it to take place in. Yeah, you just haven't read uh, my novel, The Toes, about uh, a hockey goalie in the 1950s. <laughs> no, I haven't, but we've talked about it plenty. And I, I, I'd say that your your space then is an ice rink in the 1950s, the amount you talk about. It's certainly like, a, let's say, a, not a place, but a headspace that intrigues you. <laughs> yes. Ellie, is this something that you, I mean, do you see yourself as a writer? Are you interested in this space down the road? I mean, yeah, I went to I went to school for English, so I have my bachelor's in English. I, I love writing. It's a big part of my life. Um, I'm trying right now to like write my, you know, debut novel under my own name. Um, by that, I mean, you know, just keep writing as dad said. Um, and I, I hope to keep doing that. I, I'm actually more interested in like movies. I think that's my big pipe dream is to one day write scripts. This book does scream kind of movie scenes. Well, it just so happens I do have uh, an agent in Hollywood that's pushing the book, and I'm hoping that Bill Polad was, will pick it up, but we'll see. So if anyone knows Bill, hey, Bill. <laughs> We've been told it, it seems very cinematic, so please. Yeah, and there's few characters, so it seems like it'd be easy to make, and there's a lot of movies right now in the pipeline because nothing happened during COVID, and now there's like this flood coming through. Yeah, I don't know how replicating the environment of the Barrens would like. I don't know where you would film that where it would um, be affordable and easy to get to. But I mean, there are the spaces. It's mostly just about t- trying to find areas that like really replicate that, like moss permafrost and lack of trees like the amount of space is just incredible when does the book come out kurt uh may 3rd is when it comes out and And can people pre-order it now yeah absolutely um any online bookseller should have it available literally just google the baron's book and it will pop up through the publisher's website tons of places to pre-order kurt johnson ellie johnson and you're having a book signing event do you want to invite people to come uh yeah we're having kind of a a pre-launch event up in ely where where the uh um parts of the novel took place at a paragus and that's on i believe uh saturday the 7th at 1 30 and then we're having a larger event at lush uh, bar and theater 
on May 18th at 7 p.m. And Stephanie will be reading from the book. And I'll have Lori and Julia from the My Talk uh, interviewing Ellie and I. And I'm going to get a little introduction by my mentor, uh, uh, Peter Guy. And who is Peter Guy? Uh, he won. He's a novelist. He won the uh, Minnesota Book Award a couple of years ago. How and do you know him? I took a course at the Loft, a year-long writing course at the Loft, and and uh, that he that he taught. Would you recommend that for people interested in writing? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, if if you want to be a novelist, and you want to take a year. It's a it's a good group of people, and he's a, a he's a great uh, teacher. And uh, I certainly got to the next level in novel writing by taking that course. Okay. All right. Well, it's been fun to sit and talk with you guys. Good luck on the book. I hope it's a smashing success. We did read it for my book club. We had 10 women read it. And everybody, it's so funny because people are like, oh my gosh, it was so good. Like they're almost surprised kind of because it's just very personally revealing about. I mostly just got questions about uh, animals well, and why, <laughs> why anyone would even go to a place that has that many mosquitoes. Because the bugs. Yeah. You had to wear like bug gear the whole time yeah I, well I, everyone who seems freaked out by it i say like there's honestly so many bugs that your body adjusts to the toxins within like a week so that first week i i was a mess but after that i not wouldn't even get bumps yeah because you get so much histamine reaction from pretty much yuck no thank you all right you guys it's been fun to talk with you on the makers of minnesota podcast and good luck with the book thank you thanks